Great, thank you, Kelly. Well, do keep it open. It's on page 1,169. And we're in a series in Galatians, if you're joining us this evening. If you don't know me, my name's Nicola. Really great to meet you. I'm the vicar of this church, which is great fun for me. (laughs) And lovely to see you all. But let's pray as we dive into this passage. Father, thank you so much for your precious word. And God, I just pray this evening that you'd help us to be attentive to the things that you might want to say to us. Lord, that we might dwell together in your precious word this evening. Amen. Fight, 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 fight. Okay, I still can't pull it off. I tried it earlier and I can't pull it off. I'm not a good enough actor. But do you remember back in the playground, okay, when you were in primary school and there was a fight happening and everyone was like, fight, fight fight and like everyone would run to like see the fight was that just me no yeah some of you can relate to that okay all right um well totally that's what's happening in this passage okay fight 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 Paul gets up in the face of Peter okay and that's how our passage starts and I if I'm it's a little bit wrong of me but I'd have loved to have been there can you just think of those characters for a minute All right, Peter was the burly fisherman, the one who was always chatting back to Jesus, always had something to say. I mean, he'd have been a strong dude, all that pulling in all those nets of fish and all that. Really strong character. Up against Paul, the belligerent guy who'd gone around slaughtering the Christians before he met Jesus. And Paul gets right up into the face of Peter and says, you've got it wrong. And he gets right up in his face publicly and totally humiliates him. So let's just kind of back up a little bit and see what's going on in this passage. Because there's a few things that we need to just kind of work out. Peter's been really kind of hypocritical. um, But why? What's been going on? And why on earth does Paul react so strongly to this? So Peter's been with the Galatian church and he's been eating with the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. He's been hanging out with them, he's been having tea with them, he's been spending all this time with them. And then a group come, they say they've come from the apostle James, but we know in Acts chapter 15 that James did not actually send them, but they say they've come from James. And they're kind of like saying, we're like, like, we're like the special, we're like the real Christians, because we've been circumcised as well. We're, we're kind of, we're more proper. And Paul's, um, Peter's like, they're my crew, they're my fellow Jews. And so he stops hanging out with the Gentiles and he goes and hangs out with them. And this is huge because um, Paul is kind of basically going, this is, this, is, this is not great. This is really, really not great behavior. So what's going on with Peter? Why has he changed his behavior? And why is Paul that upset about it that he basically comes right up in his face? That's verse 11. He, I opposed him to his face. Comes right up into his face publicly. Okay. Peter hasn't changed his uh, theology. Do you remember that story where Peter has that vision of the sheet of animals coming down before him? And in the vision, a voice from heaven says, Peter, arise, kill, and eat. And Peter's like, I can't do that, can't do that. I'm like, I'm a proper Jew, can't do that, can't touch the unclean animals. 
And a voice from heaven says, what God has made clean, you must not call unclean. And this vision gets repeated three times to really ram it home to Peter. And what's happened is that as Peter's having this vision, some men have come, some Gentile men have come to him and said, you've got to come to Cornelius' house. We want to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter determines from this vision that he's got to go, that these Gentiles who he thinks are unclean, maybe they're not, and he's got to go with them. And he goes to Cornelius' house and he talks to them about Jesus and they become Christians. And then what happens is the Holy Spirit falls on these Gentiles, the Holy spirit falls on these unclean gentile people and Peter realizes that it is the grace of God that has come for all people Jew and Gentile. Peter's theology hasn't changed but his behavior does. And it's, he's a hypocrite, or it might say insincere in your translation, but it all comes from that root word of play acting. Um, back in the day when they picked up masks to be different characters, they were hypocrites, they were actors, and you pick up one mask to be one person, and you put it down, and then you pick up another mask to be the next character. And Peter's doing just that. And I don't know about you, but it's a very relatable trait have you ever been one person with one group of people and then someone else with another group anyone had a formidable mother-in-law come to visit and suddenly they're a duster yes I dust everything all the time never dust Um, but it's so easy to do even in little ways right to be a different person with different people and what it is for Peter essentially and what it always is about is really fear of people. John Stott says this, the same Peter who denied his Lord for fear of a maidservant now denied him again for fear of the circumcision party. He still believed the gospel, but he failed to practice it. His conduct did not square with it. He virtually contradicted it by his action because he lacked the courage of his convictions. Have you ever lacked the courage of your convictions? Do you know what? I think most of us have done it at some point or another, being a complete hypocrite. And uh, we're going to find out in a minute why that was such a problem in this instant. But just a sort of little side note Who do you let call you out on sin, on hypocrisy, when you mess up? Because I think our culture's quite bad at calling each other out on stuff. I think generally most of us don't really like conflict, and so we don't do it. 
And I was saying uh, this morning to church service, I remember when I was a little kid uh, going to Turkey and I've got some Turkish family and I was with my Turkish relatives and they do conflict really differently. They're like shouting and the language sounds really aggressive. I'm not sure it actually was, but it sounded really aggressive and they're throwing things and having tantrums and storming. I thought my aunt and uncle, my Turkish aunt and uncle were getting divorced. Apparently no, they were just arguing about what time they should have tea. But like they did out and out conflict. Us Brits, not so good at that. And if someone calls us out on something, we tend to find it quite uncomfortable. We take it very personally. We're very sensitive. And I'm I'm the same. So my question to you as Christians today is, who do you let call you out? Because my hunch is that if we want to grow in Christ-likeness, we are probably going to need to invite people to sharpen us to be more like Christ. Because it might not happen very naturally for us in our culture. So who do you invite? Not who do you give feedback to, but who do you let give feedback to you? Uh, For me, I've got a a few friends I've been praying with, and we've been praying together for 15 years. And one of them, I absolutely hate him. I hate him. But he's brilliant at calling me out on stuff. And I remember a few years back, and I just remember it so clearly because it was so the Lord, and I so needed to hear it. Um, He just turned to me, and it was a time when this uh, song lyric was, was popular. And I've forgotten the name of the song. But he just said, Nicola, God says to you, I love it when you call, but you never call at all you've stopped praying, what's going on? I was like, oh, I hate you. <laughs> I'm meant to be a vicar. I'm meant to be really good at prayer. I should be praying. But I needed someone to call it out in that moment. And although it was a bit embarrassing, I really needed to be called out on her. And so although I hate him, I love him really, I actually, we, we do that for each other a little bit. So who do you let give you feedback? Who do you let, be pu- let someone be pulled to you, as it were? And here's the thing, you need to be careful who you choose. You need to know that they love you, and that they are for you, and that they are godly. That they love you, that they are for you, and that they are godly. But who do you let do that to you? That was just a little bit to the side. So, Paul, he's got up in Peter's face. Well, okay, Paul, all right that you challenged Peter, but why on earth did you do it like that? Why so publicly? You've not clearly not read any leadership books, Paul, because you failed on the kind of praise, critique, praise sandwich. You know, why didn't you call Peter gently to the side and say, Peter, you're wonderful at this, you're wonderful at that. I'm not sure you've quite got this bit right, but you're really good at this. None of that, none of that at all, just publicly goes straight at him, you are wrong and I oppose you to your face. Why? Why did he do it like that? What is going on? Well, the thing that was going on is that the very heart of the gospel was at stake. The very heart of the gospel was at stake. You see, Peter's behavior was leading people like Barnabas and others astray as well. 
the whole church was confused by this action of Peter. Everyone was left wondering, is the grace of Jesus Christ enough or do I need to, do I need to get circumcised? And everybody was confused. And really, if Paul had not called Peter out on this, there were only a couple of results. One was that the church became exclusively Jewish and ended up becoming a kind of non-existent Jewish sect in the corner, forgetting to reach out to all nations as they should. Or it could have gone the way that there'd be like a Jewish church and a Gentile church, worship the same Lord, but we're never going to chat to each other. And both those scenarios were not on. And so Paul makes a stand. And he obviously decides that on this particular issue, it's worth even humiliating a brother in Christ. I think there are very few issues where it's worth doing that quite so publicly, but the heart of the gospel is one of them. You see, the message of the gospel is just too important. What is the gospel? It's the good news that we are saved by grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't think anyone here at Christchurch W4 has been um, pressurized to be circumcised. Um, anyone had that problem as they've come in through the door? If you do, then do come and talk to me. I don't think anyone's asked you to do anything weird to be a Christian or to be in church tonight. Um, I don't think anything's been asked of you at all. I mean, maybe Catherine asked you to fill in a newcomer's green card, but that might be the extent of what has been asked of you. So what do we do with this passage today? What's at stake with the gospel today? Where might we make, need to make a stand like Paul? And I want to just suggest two, two things. I think one of the things that's at stake today is that it's very tempting to go, I am receive grace through my Christian faith and you receive it through that or this religion. You have your religion and I'll have mine. You know, Bono uh, sang this, uh, sang at a concert ages and ages ago, like a really, really long time ago. Um, but he got the whole crowd chanting this. Jesus, Jew, Muhammad, true. Jesus, Jew, Muhammad, true. And I get it. And I want it because it would make life easier but that is deeply offensive to any person of faith it's deeply offensive to a Christian it's deeply offensive to a Jew and it's deeply offensive to a Muslim because they are not all the same but there is a culture pressure on us to say they are all the same they all lead to heaven, they all lead to God. But I just want you to think for a moment, right? Imagine God in heaven, right? And God's in heaven, and he's like, it's okay, people, there's all these different ways for you to get saved, it doesn't matter. 
I know what, I'll add in one more way for them to be saved. I'll just add in one more to the mix. And, and that way is going to be that I'm going to send my one and only son to be persecuted and tortured and to die on a cross. Does that make sense to you? That God would do that? If there were all these other ways to get saved, why on earth would he send Jesus to die on a cross? Now, I believe that God reveals himself through what's called general revelation. That means you can look at a sunset and sense something of the awe and beauty and majesty of God. And God's graciousness abounds. And there are going to be people of other faiths in heaven because they've sensed something of God in general revelation. And they've responded to that in their hearts. And God accepts that. But there is only one way to be saved. And that is through Jesus Christ. That's the specific revelation. And you and I have knowledge of that specific revelation. And that's what we want to tell our friends about. But it's deeply uncomfortable because we might say, okay, I need grace. But telling our friend, you need that same grace too. That's quite hard, isn't it? And that's one of the things that's at stake today in our society. You see, we do all need this grace so very much. So the gospel message says that you and I have messed up. And uh, it doesn't really matter what level that you've messed up to. You know, you might actually be like a super good person. And I have this all the time when I do funeral ministry in church. Everyone's a good person. Everyone's a great person. And so what, what kind of sin have they done in their lives? Well, I'm not that bad. Why do I need saving? But the problem is, is God is perfect. And eternity forever with him cannot be tainted with anything bad. And the thing is, we have messed up. We have sinned. And, um, you know, if you're a good person, your sin might just be that you've got to smile at someone in the street that day because you were, like, distracted by thinking about whether your hair was straight or not. And it might not seem a very big deal in the world, but, but it's a little seedling of selfishness, a little seedling of looking in on oneself. And we've all messed up. We've all fallen short of God's standards, which are just... I up there. And so we do all need saving. And once we realize that, we then feel a bit of shame and guilt. And we need God's help. And do you remember back in the story of Adam and Eve when they sensed that shame and that guilt and they realized that they were naked, a symbol of being exposed. And so they got those fig leaves and they put them around themselves and they kind of were walking around like this because like the fig leaves were clearly not a very good cover. That's why we're not wearing fig leaves today. We've all got nice clothes on. The fig leaves weren't that great. And so God goes and gets them skin, animal skin, and places it on them to cover their shame. Have you ever wondered where those skins came from? Do you think there's a little deer hopping about? Oh, here you go, have my skin. Where did those skins come from? 
There had to have been a sacrifice. Blood was spilt. A sacrifice was made to cover their shame. And you see all through the Old Testament, right from the beginning and all the way through the story, is a picture painted for us of the need for a sacrifice to pay for sin and to cover shame. But the problem is, is that actually the killing of animals didn't actually do that. It was just a picture of it. It was a picture of what was to come in Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb. And it was to point to that moment when Jesus died for you and for I because he loved us. And you see, here's the second thing that I think we struggle with the gospel. The first thing that we just, all beliefs will save us, it won't. Second thing is that, do I really need to do nothing to be saved? And the answer is pretty much yes, you don't need to do anything. You can't do anything. You see, so many people come and they'll say to me, but Nicola, you don't understand, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. You don't understand, I keep making the same mistake over and over again. You don't understand, I'm no good at standing up to the gospel when I go out in the world. That's like, no, I don't understand. I'm like, I'm no good at this. You don't understand, no good at this. And you see, when we say that, we fail to understand the gospel completely. Because what we're doing in that moment is focusing in on us. And the gospel says, of course you're not good enough. And you're never going to be good enough. And there's no hope. You're you're just one person living at this tiny point in history over a whole world. You're never going to be. You can't save yourself by trying to be good or doing more. You can't do it. You are saved by grace. God's kindness to you because he loves you so much and he wants you to be his friend. And before I became a vicar, I was a secondary school teacher. I taught RE in history. And I remember sat with my colleagues and uh, we were having a debate about which curriculum we were going to teach in the secondary school I was in. And we were talking about it. And one of the teachers was like, we just really need to get the kids to understand that all the religions are the same. And that just like, God just loves everybody. And that we just really need to do that. And I just put, uh, actually, do you know what? I think that's really destructive if we teach that. What we need to teach the kids is that actually they all say different things. And then we need to teach them how to weigh them with respectful love to each person. You see, you don't end wars or fights by telling everyone we're all the same. Especially when we're not. And the Christian message, the good news, it's too good to water it down. It's too good. It's too good news to not accept it and realize what it is, what it is. And so Paul gets up in Peter's face. 
Shall we stand up together? Um, it says at the end of our passage this. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm not going to set aside the amazing grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law or any other means, then Christ died for nothing. This is amazing news. You are saved because Christ loves you and he gave himself for you. And now you no longer live. It's not about you. It's not about your desires, not about your preferences, not about your tastes, not about sexuality, not about your bank account, not about what course you're going to do at school, not about anything else. Jesus lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. The I bit has been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That when Jesus and God in heaven look upon me, they see Jesus' sacrifice and I'm welcomed home. This is amazing good news. It's good news because it's free. Father, as we stand tonight, we want to say that we love you and we're so thankful for your gracious gift to us of salvation. Oh Lord, please would you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. And help each of us to accept the grace given to us. Amen.